0: Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Um, Some of you know it was my birthday this week. I turned 46. But, yay, there you go, shout out. Um, To me... (laughs) But I have to say, the significance of this week for me is not my birthday, but that this week marks 20 years as a pastor. And <laughs> I'll take your prayers. <laughs> uh, it is a it is a, a humbling gift. And, uh, yeah, that's not what today's about. Um, But through all these years, one verse in the second chapter of the book of Acts has captured me as an essential guide for every Christian in every church in every age, as a vital distillation of God's vision and invitation for the church And in that, a window into God's desire for us and for you and for me personally. So I'm just going to read this one verse for us. Don't normally preach on just one verse, but today that's what's going to be. And then we'll dig into it. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, uh, if you don't, we have a bookshelf just outside the door. Go grab one. You're welcome to steal a Bible. Take a Bible. It's not stealing. If we've said you can take it. Acts chapter 2. So after the Gospels, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 2, verse 24. If you own a Bible highlighter, this is a great verse to highlight. Acts 2.42, I'm reading from the NIV. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That verse might not be your favorite verse. I bet nobody has it tattooed on their arm. Come on. Some of you, no, you don't. Uh, This is not a verse that necessarily sounds that inspiring, but it's a verse that I am drawn back to all the time as a pastor, as a Christian, but especially as we come to moments like this, September, when we regather for another year and invite others to join us. Um, In truth, it's a verse that has deeply formed this church for decades, and some of you who've been around here for decades would know Uh, because this was a verse that Tom Cowan, who led, taught, and pastored Lambrick for 23 years, absolutely loved. And he was my first pastor, because I was a part of this church when I was a little kid. Um, Not that I was ever in the room and heard Tom preach when I was a kid. But I am a proud owner of a series of cassette tapes. (laughs) And I do actually own an old school Walkman. It's in my office. I am a proud owner of a series of cassette tapes of Tom Cowan teaching Acts 2.42 in like an eight-week series in 1977, the year I was born, at Christian Community Church, which he pastored in Calgary before he came to this church. And my parents were a part of that church, so that's why somehow we have it. What's all the fuss about this verse? Simply put, this one verse describes God's vision for the church in every age, which is important for us to grasp and come back to often. For me... As much as for you. And I say me because I'm amazed how often people say to me, often men specifically, So, what's your vision for Lambrick? Happens to me, especially in the summer when I may be away, run into somebody, I'm at summer camp, someone hears what I do. So, what's your vision for your church? I always find it really weird. As though the future and flourishing of Lambrick is hinged on some unique, Vision that I bring. Always a bit baffled. Not because I don't have vision or am not a visionary leader. I think we all have vision. I am. But the vision isn't anything about me, it's Jesus. Our calling, the calling of every church, if we are to call ourselves a church, is to live into the vision of Jesus, personally and together which means seeking to know and trust and follow Jesus this year and always, personally, together, that through us, as we follow Jesus, God's kingdom would come. God's will would be done wherever we are in ways that would change things. This is the vision that must always be at the forefront and the center of our life as a church and the life of every Christian. A vision that Acts 2 invites us to live into and run after. Not that Acts 2.42 is some inspiring verse. It's not. I can think of many other verses that might be. But the grace of this verse is this, and this is at the heart of everything I want to say today. Acts 2.42 is the verse that tells us the way. The way. The way to experiencing God's inspiring grace. The way to experience God's stirring in our lives and our hearts and our minds and our community. The way to experience God's life, which is what all of us long for. You would not be here today if you did not long for God's life, right? To experience God's empowering presence. To experience God's renewing ministry, God's life giving voice, not just to be religious and have some practices, but to experience God's soul restoring revelation, to know the voice of Jesus in your daily life and to live in response to Him, to be led, to be taught, to be empowered by God. And not just once or just once in a while, but as the defining reality. Of our lives. But what does that look like? What does that mean, this side of the death, resurrection, and specifically ascension of Jesus? Right? If you know the Gospels, Jesus came, entered into the world, took on flesh, walked with men and women, revealed the Father through all that he did, through all that he said, went to the cross gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for the sin of the world, was raised from the grave, conquering sin and death, revealed himself to his followers, and then ascended to the right hand of the Father. What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus, to live out a pursuit of him today? Because to be a Christian is not simply to be a believer and go about your life, or a really good believer and go about your life but to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. That's what Jesus calls us to again and again in the Gospels. Matthew four nineteen, another one of my favorite verses. Jesus says to a bunch of fishermen, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men and women. I will draw you into my life for the world. I will make you vessels of my life to others. And that's what he did, right? Turned their lives upside down and the impact swelled out to the world around them. And in case we think this is limited to the days of Jesus' incarnation, we hear it again in the final scene, the final verses of the Gospel of Matthew in what's known as the Great Commission. Many of us know it. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, just days before the ascension, Jesus commissioned the apostles saying, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you And yet, what does that look like today, here, now? What does this look like when Jesus is no longer with us as he once was? Well, thank God for Acts 2.42. And I mean that, thank God. Because as far as I can see, this verse distills for us God's answer for us. God's revelation and invitation into a life of discipleship in the age of the Spirit. They devoted themselves, this is the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, if you aren't familiar with the book of Acts, this verse comes near the end of one of the most significant chapters in the Bible, one of the most significant moments in the story of God's work in the world, the day of Pentecost. A day that God's people had looked forward to for centuries. The day when God himself, according to God's promise, would come by the Spirit to dwell with and in his people. We've all had moments where we said, oh God, would you please come near? This is the moment in the history of the world where God came by by the Spirit to be with and in the lives of all of his people Jesus talked about this day with his disciples. John fourteen it wasn't a conversation they enjoyed because they just wanted Jesus to stay, right? Jesus has been with them; their world had been turned upside down, and then he'd start talking about leaving. He's going to go to the Father, but he promises them in John fourteen that he will not leave them, leave them orphans. He says, "I'll send you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who will come, and He will stay, and He will continue to minister." to you on my behalf, Jesus says. John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And it's easy to miss, except I highlighted it for you. (laughs) The the key word here is not just advocate, parakletos, advocate, counselor, comforter, one who comes alongside. That's what parakletos means, paraclete. But the word another In Greek, this word another means another of the same kind. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I will send you the spirit who will come and be for you what I have been for you. He will be like me. He will continue my ministry among you. I'm not abandoning you. This isn't just up to you now. Just read the book and do your best. No, Jesus says, I'll give you the spirit who will be another of the same kind. He will continue my ministry with you. He will teach you. He will encourage you. He will guide you. He will comfort you. He will equip you as I have. And a few verses later, John 14, 26, Jesus says, the advocate, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Do you hear the way in which he's connecting the work of the Spirit to his work. The Father will send him in my name. He will teach you everything. He will remind you of everything I have said to you. This is the promise of Jesus, to send the Spirit to continue Jesus' ministry among us. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost, began on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit came to dwell in, and with and in all the followers of Jesus. And having inspired them to repentance and faith, Something like 3,000 people turned to Jesus that day in repentance and faith. The Spirit then, in Acts 2, according to Acts 2, inspired the Christians to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That through these shared devotions, these Spirit-inspired practices, the early church, the first Christians, and us with them down through the centuries would continue to find ourselves encountering Jesus, led by Jesus, taught by Jesus, transformed by Jesus, which is what we long for. And I think we need this verse because it challenges what many of us often think about life in the spirit. We hear that term, and our mind runs to this, I don't know, kind of floaty-flaky run the whim, the seat of your pants-ness, wait for a holy nudge and do it sort of thing. And yet, at the heart of this verse is this emphasis on devotion. The Greek word is proskartorontes. Is my son Carter? Carter, your name's in this one, and you're gonna like it. Don Everts wisely unpacks the meaning of this Greek word proskarterontes. Comes from two Greek words put together Pros, which means toward, has an intensifying connotation to it. And carteros, which means strong. Oh, yeah. I follow you on Instagram. (laughs) Don Evers continues, sorry. It literally means being strong toward. They devoted themselves. They were strong toward. Pros carterotos, pros carterantes. Carries the connotation of continually, ste- continuing steadfastly in something. It's often translated persevere. So not just strong into something for a moment, but ongoing. They were strong toward. He goes on. Devotion is a specific phenomenon. I read this like 20 years ago, and I have come back to it so many times. He says, It's something like discipline and love wrapped together in one strong, simple, willful state of attention towards something. It's meaningful that this is the first word used to describe the early church after they were reborn, filled with the Spirit. They didn't just pledge They didn't just turn to Jesus, repentance and faith, and pledge to follow their own now redeemed hearts. They didn't turn to Jesus in repentance and faith and and then hope to act whenever holy desire would move them. They didn't turn to Jesus in repentance and faith and then run off to do the works of the kingdom. No, they devoted themselves under the inspiration of the Spirit. They devoted themselves to the things of the Spirit, to the devotions of the Spirit. Which, among other things, tells us that life with Jesus, a life that is alive with Jesus, requires some real commitments. Some very real, deep, defining commitments. Being strong toward a few things. Doesn't come about primarily or simply through an inspiring moment of inspiration. Or a lot of good intentions. Or just some hope. I really hope this year to meet Jesus, experience Jesus or an aim to simply be alert and attentive to holy desire. I'll be honest, I've tried all of those over the years, and they have not borne fruit, at least not for long, until I've realized again in my life as a disciple of Jesus that some things are too important, too vital to simply leave up to spontaneous desire. I wanna linger there for a second because it happens to all of us. We are so, we naturally in this day and age we so don't wanna do anything unless it is exactly what our heart most wants in that moment, right? And so anything that smacks of discipline, well, that's not, that's not life in the spirit, we think. No, when God is moving, we, we pursue God is what you do when your heart is stirred. But the more you live in this life and understand your own heart, you will realize that some things are too important too vital to simply leave up to spontaneous desire. That the Spirit himself understands the waffling of our hearts, the ups and downs of our moods, our bodies, our everything. And the Spirit invites us, knowing that about us, invites us to devote ourselves to a particular way of life, to learn together a way of living our daily lives that will keep us constantly, in and through all the ups and downs, keep us in touch with the ministry and the life of Jesus today. Amen. (laughs) Let's receive that. Every week I should plant someone with some soothing music in the room. Except that time, Mark, remember that sermon? Middle of a sermon, all of a sudden, bow, bow, now, bow, now." that's what (laughs) happened. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that's okay, we don't, anyways. (laughs) It was a good moment. Okay, we'll come back to where we were. We're okay. But let me just pause and ask you, you who desire, as you look into this year, you who desire to experience God this year, maybe you're in the midst of, the middle of life. It's not the beginning, it's not the end, it's the middles, like me. And this year is not that much different to last year, and your responsibilities are not changing that much. It's just, you're continuing forward. And you look at this and you think, I so want to know Jesus this year. I want to experience God. I want to hear his voice. I want to know his presence. I want to follow his leading. Maybe you are... In a different chapter of life, maybe it's all new things. Maybe you're here as a new student at Camosun or at starting a new chapter at UVIC, or just getting back into grade 11, whatever it is. In the midst of that, are you finding your heart saying, "I want Jesus this year. I want to experience God. I want to know His voice. I want to be led and taught and empowered by God, and not just once, not just once in a while, but as the defining reality of my life. Let me ask you, what are you choosing to be strong toward? What are you devoting yourself to? Because you are. This isn't about starting to do your devotions. We all have devotions. We all have things that our life is. Our life is anchored toward, centered in. We all do. So what are you devoted to? What in your life occupies something like discipline and love wrapped together into one strong, simple, willful state of attention, towards something or someone? Because, let it be said, it is impossible to be, to be devoted to everything, right? Or even just many things. Because if everything's on the top, nothing is. It's just the shelf where you're trying to do life and you will follow the whims of what your affection, your desire, your fatigue, your laziness, your interest will take you that day. And, and here's my aim in this moment. My aim is not... To guilt anyone for misplaced devotions or lack of holy devotion. Truth is, this is the reality for all of us. And God knows this about us. And so in his grace, in Acts 2.42, he proclaims the gospel to us. Good news to us. Inviting us into the grace of God's better desires. Inviting us into the grace of the devotions that God gives life through. The things that the Spirit is committed to. And my aim this morning is is that, is to announce to you or to remind you this grace, the good news that the door is open to you. The door of God's life is open to you in Jesus by the Spirit, through repentance and faith. A life lived in the intimacy and empowering presence of Jesus is available to all of us through repentance and faith and learning together to live in Spirit-taught devotion. This invitation is not dependent on your already being pretty naturally holy because <laughs> you're not, uh, or pretty naturally serious or, or disciplined. A life, this life described in this verse is not solely available to people who have a certain temperament or social makeup or previous experience. Are you a monotasker or a multitasker or none of those? No, the Spirit invites all of us. All of us to embrace and learn a life of devotion, allowing the devotions of the Spirit to reorder our days and in time to reorder our hearts and our minds, our thoughts, and our lives. In a way, in Acts 2.42, the Spirit is simply echoing the invitation of Jesus to all of us, come follow me. It looks like something. It can. Come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men and women. I will draw you into my life on earth, as I have for so many before. I can for you. All right, so let's talk for a few minutes about the four devotions that are named here. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's so much that could be said here. I've spoken on each of these individually before in some way, and today I want to simply explore three vital, vital realities about all of these. First, I think it's really helpful to know that none of these devotions were new in the moment of Acts 2.42. As one writer explains, these are all things that Jesus had explicitly called his followers to be about in the days of his incarnation. If you know the Gospels, think about the journey of the disciples of Peter and others with Jesus. From day one for them, being a disciple of Jesus meant learning from Jesus. What was the title they had for him? Rabbi. Jesus was their teacher. From day one, being a disciple of Jesus meant learning from Jesus, acknowledging that they in themselves did not understand everything rightly or perfectly, but that Jesus... Did that Jesus knew and knows better? That he is the wise one, he is the wise rabbi whom we need to learn from. And so, for them, being a disciple meant submitting their minds, their thoughts, their ideas, their convictions, their truth to Jesus, their sense of making their way of making sense of the world and themselves and God and how all this works to Jesus, that they might learn the truth. From Jesus himself. And so it's no surprise that discipleship, following Jesus in the age of the Spirit, involves and requires being devoted to the apostles' teaching, trusting that this is where and how Jesus, by the Spirit, will continue to encounter, teach, lead, and transform us. Similarly, fellowship. This is yet another undeniable dynamic of following Jesus in the days of his incarnation. From day one, being a disciple of Jesus meant following Jesus in the company of others. As difficult and challenging as that was at times, right? Some of us think, ah, church is so complicated. I can't find a church where the people don't drive me crazy. Neither could Jesus' first disciples, right? Read the Gospels, pay attention. They did not always like each other. They would not have gone to the same book club. Some of them... Didn't want to read books. They were wired so differently. Some of them were the activists. Let's do this. Let's go rally them. Some were like, slow down. We just need time to be still and listen. And Some of them wanted to binge watch shows. Some people never do that. Like this, the disciples were not the perfect gang of besties. They were all attached to Jesus. And Jesus' intention was that their journey of following him would be shoulder to shoulder with one another. That sometimes it takes being shoulder to shoulder. Often, in the wisdom of God, it takes being shoulder to shoulder with others to truly learn the things we need to learn. Some of us have heard great sermons about forgiveness, about whatever, and then we sit beside that person again and we know our heart has not truly learned it. Right? This has been God's intention. Incarnation. God's work requires people. Shoulder to shoulder with us. This is what it was for the first disciples. This is what it is for us today. We are called to devote ourselves to fellowship. Trusting that this is where and how Jesus, by the Spirit, will continue to encounter, teach, lead, and transform us. Similarly, the breaking of bread. As many have pointed out in the Gospels, if you wanna find Jesus, go to a table. It's where he is all the time. In the Gospel of Luke especially, Jesus, many people have said Jesus is always either at a table with people, on his way to a table, Telling a parable about a table or leaving a table. He is always, that's what he's doing. He's always breaking bread with people. There's something about that that Jesus is after. And yet without excluding all these other gospel encounters around a meal, this reference to the breaking of bread seems to be Luke's early church expression for referring specifically to the Lord's Supper. Hashtag the breaking of bread. The Lord's Supper, right? That's code word for. This meal... That above all celebrates the death and the resurrection of Jesus as the saving action of God. A meal that Jesus invited his disciples to and then commanded them to forever after share this meal as a way of keeping the gospel. What God has done and is doing and will do at the center of their life. So not surprisingly, discipleship today in the age of the spirit involves being devoted to the breaking of bread Sharing in this meal together as a way of keeping the gospel at the center of our life. Trusting that this is where and how Jesus, by the Spirit, will continue to encounter, teach, lead, and transform us. Fourth, prayer. All the gospels show it again and again in different ways. Jesus, at the center of his life, was this intimacy with the Father experienced in prayer. You read the Gospel of Matthew and continually you find Jesus. They wake up in the morning, where's Jesus? He's off seeking the Father. In the Gospel of Luke, we get taken into some of those prayers. In the Gospel of John, we get taken into some of those prayers. It was so central to his life that his disciples, at some point in the journey, said to Jesus explicitly, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Why? Because they knew Jesus' life made no sense apart from his intimacy and dependence upon the Father expressed through prayer. And so they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And he did. He did. And so not surprisingly, discipleship today in the age of the Spirit involves being devoted to prayer, trusting that this is where and how Jesus, by his Spirit, will continue to encounter, lead, teach, and transform us, which is the second point. (laughs) Not only are the four devotions of Acts 2.42 a continuation of the discipleship priorities of Jesus, but by the grace of God's sovereignty, they are each places, practices where Jesus is to be found and experienced today. My phone is ringing. Is that like my dad calling me? Oh, it's a scam call. (laughs) Last Sunday, uh, in the close of our series in the Psalms of Ascent, Dr. Curtis Harder, (laughs) I love saying that, Curtis, made a brief reference to the temple in Jerusalem under the Old Covenant as the place where God had chosen to dwell. Right? God. God's presence cannot be contained by one building, one space. And yet, in the mystery of God's wisdom, God chose to make his presence uniquely known to his people in the temple in Jerusalem. There they could come and offer their sacrifices. There they could come and know God. And in a wonderful turn of phrase, Curtis said, God had GPS coordinates. I'm sure we've all had moments in our lives where we wish that was the case today right but here's the surprising grace of Acts 242 God still has GPS coordinates there are still places where Jesus is most often to be found where God is still to be found among us where Jesus shows up has chosen to make himself available and known where God is to be encountered where Jesus now by the spirit continues to teach and encounter, lead, and transform us. That's what the four devotions are all about. They are not an end in themselves, as in good Christians do their devotions, good Christians read their Bible. No, they are what our heart longs for. They are habits worthy of our devotion because they are the place where we are invited to encounter our rescuing, saving God. They are the ways... The way to experience God's life, the place, the practice, the habits that God inhabits. Reflecting on this, I woke up yesterday morning with this phrase in my head that seemed to distill this for me. I've referenced this once before. It comes from a line from an episode, a podcast episode of Kurt, from Kurt Thompson's podcast, Being Known. He talks about the wisdom of putting yourself in the path of oncoming grace. And not just once, but again and again, day after day for a lifetime. And this, for me, is a brilliant distillation of what the four devotions are all about. Choosing to orient our days, our daily lives, around putting ourselves in the path of oncoming grace. Some of us have a great conflict between what we long for and what we do. We long to experience God's grace, his life, his voice, but we live our lives running after everything else. Oh, I really hope, while I enter, center my life over here and do all this, that I will experience God's grace. I, I, Some of you are new students at UVic are coming back, and I just keep thinking, can you imagine, if word got out that the best teacher in the world, it's Jesus, if the best teacher in the world was g- visiting UVic this year, or Camosun, and he was going to teach a class in a certain building I want to make up a name or think of a name that I could remember but I can't isn't there a a building called like Bob something Bob Wright Wright. okay there you go he's going to teach there he's going to teach every day 7.30 class and and this this class will change your life over time if you show up again and again can you imagine how ridiculous it would be to never show up and just hope oh man I really hope I run across him on the path today Just go to class. He's there. He's available. Put yourself in the path of oncoming grace. That's what we're doing right now. That's what this is. That's why we gather as a church. We have devoted ourselves together. That's what we're doing to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, though not today, and to prayer putting ourselves in the path of oncoming grace, not just hoping that somehow, somewhere, this week, this fall, this year, we might find ourselves encountering Jesus, hearing his voice, experiencing his ministry, but choosing in obedience to the Spirit to meet God in the places that he has said that he dwells in, which is in his word, in his community, at the table, and in prayer, as the early church models for us. Which leads me to my last thought. last reflection on all this and it's simple and I love this it's been a gift to me it's that the life of devotion this life of devotion was something that the Christians in the early church didn't just get and do but had to learn from others from the spirit yes but in and through the companionship of others who were themselves devoted to the apostles teaching to fellowship the breaking of bread and to prayer it wasn't something they automatically got So if you're sitting here today thinking, oh, I want that, but I'm no good at that, friends, everyone has to learn this. Everyone has to learn this, and everyone can. For them, it meant at the outset learning this from explicitly the apostles who'd been with Jesus for these years and had lived this way. And then over time, as their own lives came to be defined by these fruitful devotions, they began to apprentice others in these ways. Being devoted to the apostle teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And I say this as someone who's experienced this so much in my own life. I've seen this in the lives of so many others. But when I was 14, 15, 16, a teen, growing up in church, I so wanted to know Jesus, and yet I was so undisciplined. I don't know if that's you, that was me. I had a deep desire at times. I had lots of other desires too. I had a deep desire at times to know Jesus and follow him, but for the life of me, I felt like this life of devotion was not something I was up to. I had a friend. I loved him. Drove me nuts as well. Jeff, Jeff Dyke, he will not be listening because he goes to another church. In high school, we would show up to meet with our youth pastor, Darren Wilkes, Uh, for a weekly Bible study they did with Jeff and I and somebody else. And every week, my buddy Jeff would show up with this notebook, a journal, filled with all of his reflections from things Jesus had said to him that week when he met with Jesus while he read his word. And I brought my notebook, which only had notes from last time our group met. And maybe that night or the next morning, and then, boom, back to normal life. I felt so unable to enter into that devotion. But I could show up at church. I could show up at youth group. I could lean in during those Bible study times with others. And in the grace of God, God took those coulds and God grew it into more. Jesus met me there, he made me hungry for more. And he gave me examples in my life through mentors, through friends, through leaders, through authors, through dead Christians in their books who taught me what it looked like to live this in different ways, to make sense of it for my life. And also learn how to stop prioritizing everything else. And over time, as I walked hand in hand with the church, a messy, complicated, inconsistent community, just like every other church, I learned to follow Jesus and to live these devotions. And the church keeps helping me in that. Being your pastor helps me live in this. I experienced Jesus by the Spirit in and through the church, discipling me learning to live each day in the path of oncoming grace. So, all that to say, do your devotions. No, that's not what I'm saying, is it? I hope that's not what you've heard. If anything, my hope this morning is to invite you to join with the Spirit in saying, come. Come. Come and learn to live in the path of oncoming grace with us this year. For these years, let's learn to live in the path of oncoming grace together. So as we go to prayer, let me ask you, what is the Spirit saying to you this morning? These are those moments. Spirit is speaking. What does yes look like for you? For some of you in this moment, There is an invitation, and you know it, to prayerfully rethink the devotions of your life. For some of you, you need to embrace opportunities to lean toward others who you know are devoted to the apostle teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, and to learn with them and to learn from them. For some of you, God's invitation could be to open up your life to others. And share with others the devotions you're living in, that they might be drawn in. This is what God's after.